This is MG Govia, Education Outreach Liaison for OK11. I am excited to present to you a special edition of Digging Deep. Our Executive Director, Susan Bull, joined Jeffrey Kaufman with the Oklahoma Gas Association for a webinar um, this last month discussing the new legislation and law updates that went into effect. And with a great conversation, we wanted to share that with you for your opportunity to listen to it on our podcast. So please stick around and check out all this great information. Let's turn it over to Jeff and Susan. Good morning. My name is Jeff Kaufman. I'm with the Oklahoma Gas Association. Uh, we are thrilled today to, to be able to work with our friends and partners at Oki 811. And we have our, our friend there, our Executive Director, Susan Bull on today. Good morning, Susan. How are you? Morning. I'm great. Beautiful great. morning. It is a great morning here. Uh, you know, at, at the OGA, we, we try to do a, a safety moment for every every conference or every meeting. So I guess we'll just say, hey, call before you dig, right? Pretty good safety moment right there. Short, short and sweet and right to it. Uh, again, on behalf of the OGA, Susan, thank you for being here and we're honored to have you. And I will now turn the, the session over to you so we can talk about some things the legislature did for us. Great. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me. And I'm excited to uh, share some new information with everyone and maybe new uh, to, to many of you. It should be new. <clears throat> but before I do that, um, I just want to let you know, I am the executive director with OK811. I've been here a little over eight years now. And it seems like since I uh, came in the door, we've had lots of changes to the Underground Damage Prevention Act. Um, not necessarily my doings, uh, things that, that needed to happen with the law that a lot of our pipeline companies uh, took the lead on doing. So um, I will talk a little bit about the history and how we got here, where we're going and, and so forth and talk about the detail about the changes that are it went into effect November 1. Um, Let's see here. Let me jump in a little background. Um, in 1981, the Oklahoma Underground Damage Prevention Act was enacted into law. In 82, it went into effect. Um, there were updates to the law in 95, 20, 2002, 2003, and 2004. I can't tell you the exact changes that were made at that time. I assume they're having to do with uh, moving from paper maps to um, you know GPS and GIS systems a lot of the technology advancements that were made um, in the early late 90s late 90s early 2020 2000s um, so anyway that's those were changes that were made early on when i came in the door in 2013 uh, phimsa had uh, deemed oklahoma as being inadequate in our pipeline safety programs so what happened there um, i walked in and, and learned a lot about pipeline safety at that time but um, Governor Fallon established a pipeline safety task force and there were 11 representatives on that task force from various different um, entities around the state um, representing underground facility uh, protection and damage prevention. Um, a lot of different players that came together and talked about what we needed to do to become adequate in our pipeline safety programs for FEMSA. Then an eight-page report was, uh, preliminary report of findings was published in December 2013. If you just Google that, um, you can actually find that report online and, and read it if you're interested. Um, from that report, a lot of things started popping out saying we need, to, we need to make some enhancements and some adjustments to the Underground Damage Prevention Act to um, make some things happen to make us a better state in our, in our damage prevention efforts. So in 2014, a bill was passed to authorize the Corporation Commission as the enforcement authority for pipeline and pipeline systems. So that's a, an authority that the, the OCC has to um, ensure that pipeline uh, excavation happening around pipeline and pipeline systems is uh, being managed by uh, those companies and that everyone is following the necessary um, guidelines for pipeline safety. To continue on, in 2016, there was another change to the Underground Damage Prevention Act through a bill that removed exemptions from municipalities. Uh, before that, municipalities didn't have to participate in the one call. It was a, kind of 
elective if they want to. Um, that exemption was removed because there were quite a few exemptions in our Underground Image Prevention Act. FEMSA was also citing those as um, you know, issues that, that we needed to address in our law. So the municipalities were, exemptions were removed and the, we had a big increase in our membership in municipalities in that year and, and moving to get those municipalities to register their underground facilities with the one call. In 2017, um, another bill was passed to remove some additional exemptions for municipalities and as well as homeowner, there was a homeowner exemption in there that was removed. So that bill helped remove a few more exemptions in our law. And then in 2018, um, there was a, a bill passed to add intrastate and interstate gas pipelines as underground facilities. So it defined it a little bit more specifically for um, damage prevention um, efforts and ensuring that pipeline systems were uh, protected and safe for those excavating around those systems. 2019, a bill was passed removing um, exemptions in the private and public easements and right-of-ways. It also removed the data notification as being included in the 48-hour notice to locate lines. And it added the ability for the excavator to set a future start date of their excavation. Um, in other words, you know, a lot of excavators would just say, I'm gonna be digging in 48 hours and I need the lines located. If they really aren't going to be digging in 48 hours, they could set the date to a future date and it gave the locators a little bit more time to get out there and locate the lines. In 2020, a bill was passed. It's like every year since I've been here, it seems like a bill was passed each year. 2020, a bill was passed to limit the scope of what can be included on a ticket. So in, um, in a incorporated areas, it was limited to 500 feet and in um, unincorporated areas, it was limited to a mile. So that increased our ticket volume this year. And um, because we had to break those tickets up, they couldn't have more than that in a, on a ticket. So um, that has impacted our, 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 our increase in our locate requests as well. Um, and then 2021 is what we're here to talk about today. I will be discussing what went into effect under that bill. And that just went into effect, uh, you know, at the beginning of November. And so far I've been polling some of the lobbyists who are active in these bills and getting them um, going. I've been asking if there's anything they're looking at doing for 2022. And as of right now, there are no plans for any changes to the Underground Damage Prevention Act for 2022. So um, might have to, I, may, I might get a year to rest um, because every time these things change and, and, and affect, they affect the one call in our, in our processes and our procedures. So let's jump into the changes that went into effect November 1. There are quite a few things that went into this bill. Um, I was a part of um, consulting, I want to say more than anything, consulting with the lobbyists on what would be um, additional things to help, you know, really solidify our Underground Image Prevention Act and help address um, additional deficiencies in our in our law. And um, so we collaborated very heavily on this particular bill. I am not a lobbyist, the one call does not have lobbyists, but we work closely with the lobbyists for, from the, our member companies to just help ensure that, um, you know, we're going in the right direction with the changes that are being made. So the first thing that um, I'll talk about is the life of a ticket. In the past, the law did not define specifically what, how long a ticket life had. So um, we kind of operated on the, the basis procedurally that it was a, a, 10, a 10 working day ticket, but it was really just a procedure. It wasn't defined in the law. So now the law specifically states that the life of the ticket is 14 calendar days. Um, the next thing that was put into the law was mandatory positive response. This is where the member will put a code into the ticket and let the excavator know that they've either cleared the, they're clear to dig, they've marked the lines, um, they're late getting to the, to the site, whatever those responses are, they can put that on the ticket and communicate that to the excavator electronically. And all of that's passed through the one call through Oak 811 and is available um, to the excavator 
online via our portal or they can't, they'll get an email from the system saying what that positive response is. Um, another area that was added to the Underground Damage Prevention Act was provision for state emergency of de declaration of emergency. So this gives the governor or the legislature um, the ability to state that there's a, a state of emergency in certain areas of the state or statewide. And we can, I'll talk a little bit more about this, what that does to, um, to the system in the process of locating lines. Um, we also added requiring that damage reporting be reported to OK-11 in addition to the underground facility operator. So the intent here is to try to start collecting a, um, a centralized repository of damage information at the one call so that we can start looking um, at where things are happening and where we can put mitigating um, efforts in place to mitigate those damages down the road. And we, we have a lot of new tools available to us that we can look at um, analytics around those damages and see where we can place more training and more emphasis on um, excavation safety. Uh, better defined excavator responsibilities. I'll talk a little bit more about this, um, specifically around hazardous pipelines. And then the excavator may be liable to the operator if they misuse emergency tickets, and they can also be liable to the operator if they have excessive and unreasonable updates on tickets. This is something that um, underground facility operators need the ability to um, you know, charge the, those costs back to the excavator if the excavator is not following um, proper, proper protocols when they're doing their locate requests. So let me jump in um, and you guys can ask questions in the chat as I'm going if you'd like to. Um, I think uh, Jeff will just interrupt and let me know if there's any questions. So feel free to pop any questions in there if you have them. <coughs> Susan, okay, uh, so the Underground I'm Damage sure. Prevention Act obviously is in place primarily to get underground facility operators to participate in the one call and then to get everyone to use the one call to get lines located before they dig. That's the primary purpose for the for the law. Um, the life of the ticket is, for, is now 14 calendar days. Um, no excavation may continue after the 14th day unless subsequent notices have been submitted to the one call to continue that work beyond that 14 calendar days. So I did a little calendar here to show you what that means. So November 1, we get a locate request. Um, that date, the date that the locate request come in, comes in does not count in the 48 hours for the, uh, for the lines to be located. So Tuesday and Wednesday are the 48 hours. So then on Thursday, the lines would be located and the excavator could start working. So WTB is work to begin date. Now, let's say they're working along and they haven't finished their excavation, they haven't finished their project. By the 15th, that's the 14th calendar day, they need to call in an update. The problem here is that they're gonna have to stop their work and wait another 48 hours for the lines to get located before they can continue work on the 18th. So a lot of excavators will back up to like the 10th, call, call in their update so that they can continue work through the 14th business day. 14th calendar day, sorry. So this is kind of how this is gonna work with the 14 calendar days. We already have it in the in the one call system in the ticket processing system. So everything is set up ready and it's running now, ready to go. And, and when people call in their locate requests or submit them online, all this is in, in there. And they'll, the excavator will actually get an email reminding them to update their ticket if they have opted in for that email. Mandatory positive response. Um, this is a clear communication of the status of processing the locate request to the excavator. So excavators can confirm response prior to excavation. Um, this enables the excavator to get that communication online. They can go and look and make sure that everything's been done on the site before they end up going to the work site to, to start their work. They can see that each operator has responded. Um, we provide that response on the ticket as well as through an email back to the excavator letting them know what the response is. Um, let's see here. Mandatory response, positive response for members. The members must provide the status of that locate request prior to the work begin date. So if the work begin date is the 5th of November, 
they have to provide the status of that of the responding to the locate request um, before the work to begin date. Um, right now, USIC is the biggest line locator in Oklahoma, and they are processing those um, responses back to the one call through their system. So it's happening, it's working. I'll tell you a little bit later about where we are in getting all of the underground operators to participate and getting them on board with that. <clears throat> and then excavators must check the positive response before they go out and start digging. So it's, it's imperative for this to work that they check and make sure that all the responses have been made. If the responses are not in there, they can submit a second notice to get um, locate done or get the, the clear, all clear done. Um, but it gives them the opportunity to go one place to check that and make sure it's, it's been done before they get to the, to the dig site. And then the law also specifies that Okie Women will provide that communication back to the member companies and the excavators through our portal and through our communication. So we're the centralized communication to help make all that happen. This is, I know this is really small on your screen, but um, it's in the handouts that are, there, there's a handout available to you if, if you want to download it. Um, this is what it looks like, the positive response looks like when you look at the ticket. So each operator that is on the ticket will go in and put a response in and then the, the excavator can see what that response is. Um, here you can see Norman, City of Norman put in multiple responses. So they can, the, the underground facility operator can respond, we're working on it, we'll be there. They, they can submit different responses as they go. So this is um, a good place to be able to see the, the activity of what is happening um, with that excavation work. Susan, work. Susan, let me just, pardon my interruption really quickly here. Uh, uh, what Susan referenced on the handout was on your dashboard, but right below questions, there'll be a button that says handouts and you can download today's presentation in PDF form. Sorry to interrupt, I just wanna make sure everyone no, knew that. Yeah, very good. Provisions for state of emergency declaration. This was um, something that, it was pretty prevalent during COVID during 2020 that you know there were issues with staffing, getting um, people able to get out there to locate lines. Um, you know all the scare with with the COVID scare just in general. Um, there was a lot of late locates happening, and um, we didn't have a way to say, oh, the 48 hours doesn't count today because of COVID. Um, or, oh, the 48 hours doesn't count now because of this tornado that came through the city of Moore. So this way, um, when there is a state of emergency declared, that 48 hours to respond to the locate request um, is kind of put aside. And it says we don't have to respond by that 48 hours during the state of emergency. Um, that gives the underground facility operators and the locators time to prioritize their work decide what's the most critical areas that need to be addressed during that state of emergency. And then um, once the state of emergency is, re is released, then we go back to the normal act, which is um, 48 hours to locate the lines. So that's kind of what the state of emergency is going to be used for in the future. Uh, we, we have the system set up now where it can be broke down by county, by um, city, area, um, depending on what's declared to be the emergency area. Required damage reporting to OP811. This is something that um, I've been advocating for for quite some time, ever since I've really, ever since I've gotten here, because data is key to making good decisions. Um, and, you know, having the knowledge of where things are happening comes from our data. So now what's supposed to be happening is um, if an underground damage prevention or if the underground damage occurs, anybody reporting that damage is supposed to report it to the facility operator that the damage occurred on, as well as to Oki 811. Now, when that damage is reported to Oki 811, we create a damage ticket and that notice of damage goes out to anybody that has any operator that has lines in that area of the damage. So we also notify the underground facility operator of the damage, but the law does specify that the excavator or whoever's reporting the damage also has to report it to the operator. But like I said, they'll also get a report, they'll also get a damage ticket from us letting them know about that damage. 
Preservation of hydrocarbon and hazardous liquid markings. This was something that um, I believe it was Magellan that really was wanting to make sure excavators are truly practicing safe excavation around their pipeline systems. Um, so they added this language in the law that says the excavator shall maintain and preserve all hydrocarbon, hydrocarbon and hazardous liquid markings during the um, excavation or demolition. And if those markings are no longer visible or they're removed, the excavator must stop working until um, the lines get relocated and they must continue doing that until the line is exposed. So this is just putting a little bit more emphasis around the um, volatility of those types of pipeline systems and making sure excavators are truly and you know practicing safe excavation around those volatile systems. Fraudulent requests. This was something that um, Okie okay, one is not an enforcement authority. We can't go after excavators who misuse emergency tickets or update tickets fraudulently. We we can't go after them. We're not an enforcement authority. We don't go. We don't have the ability to fine or penalize <clears throat> excavators who misuse the system. But um, the operators wanted the ability to charge back those excavators for their cost if they are misusing the system. So the excavator may be liable to the operator for cost of the locates if they are um, submitting emergency requests that aren't truly emergencies or if they're um, updating excessively and unreasonably updating locates when there's no work being done at the dig site. So now operators have the ability to go directly to the excavator and say, we're going to charge you what it cost us because you're not working, you're submitting these tickets, we're responding and we have costs associated with that. And um, unless you, you know, it's, it's intended to get the excavators, you know, attention to doing things appropriately and correctly and following the intent of the law. Um, to also keep them safe around those lines and, you know, prevent damages from happening. Hey, Susan, uh, yes. sorry to hop in, but we had two questions come in at the exact same time. So I just thought I'd throw them to you really quickly here. First question comes from, uh, well, there's three questions now. First question comes from Ryan Egan. Why is this only for pipelines, not all facilities? Um, the Underground Damage Prevention Act is for all facilities. It's for electric, gas, um, telecom, water, sewer. The Underground Damage Prevention Act is for everything. Um, this particular language around um, these pipeline things are just related to the pipeline that are volatile pipelines. It was something to emphasize around the excavator being super careful around those really volatile systems. Um, but the Underground Damage Prevention Act is for all underground facilities, not just pipelines. Um, it's kind of, it, it is kind of frustrating that like the enforcement authority that Corporation Commission put in there is just for pipelines. So they only enforce uh, safe digging around pipeline systems. They don't enforce safe digging around telecom or electric. Um, and that's their pipeline safety group that does that. So. I don't know. I, I think the reason for that is my understanding was because that was where we were deficient in, by FEMSA and FEMSA is a pipeline safety entity. So that was all they were really worried about addressing was that pipeline, you know, the, the enforcement around pipeline safety. Um, I wish that it was a little bit more short up where, you know, there could be fines and penalties against someone that's hitting a, a fiber line that takes out 911, for example. But right now that doesn't exist in our law. So there's still some some areas of our law that are a little deficient in that in my in my perspective, a little deficient in that area. Well, and, and I think Ryan agrees because he comments we need to be one not separated by utility type. So I think that echoes what I just heard you saying. A couple more questions. Cody Odom asks. Uh, how are we notifying Oki 811 of damaged facilities? Okay, right now that would be a call to 811. So if you saw a damage to an underground facility, you would call 811 and report that damage. 
we would take that information over the phone, create a damage ticket and submit that damage ticket to any um, operators that have underground facilities in the vicinity of that damage. Um, we're working on a, what we're calling a damage ticket wizard, where you can go online and submit that damage online um, without having to call us to report it. But that's still in the works. We haven't got that completely done. It'll probably be later in 2021 before we have that ready to roll out. But right now it would require a call to 811 to report the damage. Gotcha. Good question. Uh, and last cast question comes from John Keck. What time frame would be considered excessive? Um, for, I'm, I'm assuming this is in relation to updating tickets. Um, right now what happens is, um, this is a common practice. I'm mean, not gonna say all excavators do this, but it's a common practice that an excavator um, finds out that they are awarded a job or they're even bidding on a job for um, a company and they say, we need to get the lines located so we can figure out where everything is so we can decide how much we're gonna charge for this, this work. They get the lines located and then they just start updating the ticket every 14 days from that point forward until they find out for sure they even got the contract or they're waiting to get a crew assigned to go work on the contract. So they're updating this ticket and there's no work taking place. And the reason they're doing that is because they, once they get a crew ready, they want to they want to roll and they don't they don't want to wait the the three business days to, to get lines located. They want to just hit the ground running. And I get that, but what that does is it causes a lot of expense on the on the operator side to constantly be refreshing those marks every 14 days when no work is taking place. So we advise we try to educate excavators to don't don't do that practice. Stop that practice and you know, submit the locate request three business days before you're going to be excavating so that, you know, it's more timely, it's more relevant, it, it's better use of resources. Great questions, folks. Thank you, Susan. So I will yeah. let you return to regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> very good questions. Thank you all very much. So the impact so far since uh, November 1, um, we have, this is re with regard to positive response. So right now we have 1,320 some odd underground facility operators that are members of the one call. These are pipeline systems, electric, gas, um, telecom, water, sewer, municipalities, all of those make up the one call system. So we have 1,300 some odd underground facility operators that have registered their underground facilities with us. Once they register those facilities, they have to tell us where they want the notices to go. So we call those dispatches. We say, okay, you want us to notify you that this locates, that this underground um, digging is going to be happening around your system. Where do you want us to send the notices? So we set up dispatches to send out notices. We have 1,928 dispatches for those different um, member companies. Some companies want the dis want the notice going to multiple places, so they'll set up multiple dispatches. That's why there's more dispatches than there are members. Um, 82% right now, 82% of that 1,900 dispatches are configured for positive response. That means we're able to send the positive response out to those dispatches. Um, we're still trying to get eight the other 18% set up, so we're working with those member companies that haven't set up their dispatches for positive response. Um, it's most of these are municipalities and rural waters that just, they are struggling because they don't have the technology, they don't have the manpower to, you know, put those positive responses in. But we really need, a, a, it's close to 100% participation in positive response for this to really work the way it's intended to work and the excavator to get a holistic picture of of that of the responses that have happened on that ticket so we're working diligently to get those other 18 percent set up and i hope to have that done soon again there's no enforcement around this we don't have the ability to say if you don't do this we're going to charge you for it uh, we're going to fine you if you don't do it we don't have the ability to do that so it's just something that we're trying to encourage through um, good business practice and, you know, protection of underground facilities and, you know, helping keep people safe around those systems. 
Um, also today, we've seen a 5% increase in damages being reported to us. We've had damage reporting to OK-81 for the last two years. It's been elective. So if someone called us to report a damage, we could take it. Um, since November of 2020 compared to November 2021, we've seen a 5% increase in the number of reports coming to us. Um, I still think that we have a long way to go for everybody to start reporting damages to us. It's not, here again, this is not something we can go out and find someone for not doing or penalize somebody for not doing. It's a, it's a best practice. It's a, it's a request that we're making that anybody that sees a damage report at Toki or one so that we can start really having that, that um, centralized repository of damage information so that we can start putting mitigating um, things in place to help address the areas where we're seeing that happen. System um, is set up for the state of declaration, emergency declaration, so we have the ability to um, cite that on the ticket when there's a state of emergency declared, we can put on the ticket when we submitted that. Lines may not be located within the time frame due to the state of emergency, and we have the ability to define what areas of the state that emergency apl applies to. And then uh, many inquiries from operators about shifting cost to excavators. Uh, we've gotten lots of phone calls like, hey, I see this in the law that I can charge the excavator for the locate because they submitted it erroneous or um, um, an unfactual emergency ticket. How do I go about doing that? Um, you know, it's not something that one call is going to do for the operator, but we can advise you that here's how you can go about doing that. We've gotten lots of um, questions about how can I charge back the excavator for, excavator for that cost. And that's just something between the excavator and the operator. Um, we're, we're just here to advise on it, if that makes sense. Um, some other changes that also went into effect November 1 that weren't really in the scope of the law, but there are procedural changes. <clears throat> We reduce the worksite buffer. Um, what this means is when an excavator calls and says, I'm going to dig, we put a polygon around the area where the excavation is going to take place. Then we add a buffer around that to make sure all of the correct um, underground facility operators are notified. Um, that buffer used to be 300 foot and now, oops, my slide, slide advanced. Um, that buffer used to be 300 foot and we reduced that down to, to 150 feet. Um, what that does is it, it, it limits down the number of, of operators that get notified, um, but it hopefully will, will get the more accurate and more correct uh, operators to be notified. And it also reduces the number of locates that come through to, that go out to the to operators to go locate lines. So. Um, as of um, January 2021 through October 2021, we have processed over 6 million outbound notices to have lines located. So that's a lot of locating. And what we looked at is, you know, we're seeing such an increase. What can we do to help the locating um, side of this so that they're not inundated with, with so much locates that maybe aren't really necessary or just um, an at an over notification just to make sure lines do get located. So we reduced down that buffer on November 1. And since that change has happened, um, we have seen a decrease of 7.2% decrease in outbound notices going to um, operators to get lines located. You can see our inbound, our inbound locates uh, are up. Our inbound locates, we've processed 46,343 locates since November 1. Um, of this year compared to 39,000 last year. So we're, we're already seeing an increase in inbound, but what we're doing is trying to affect the outbound notices going out to the operators. And um, there is an increase in outbound as well because there's an increase in inbound, but because we reduced down that dig site buffer, we're actually seeing a smaller ratio. So for every one locate request we get in, we are now sending out 5.84 notices out to operators versus 6.27, which was what we were sending before. Um, another thing that we changed um, as part of that 14 calendar day is the ticket start time is now 12 a.m. unless the um, unless otherwise specified. What we were doing before is we were sticking, I think, 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. on the ticket, and um, the law didn't really specify that. What, that was a procedural thing. So because the law is now 14 calendar days, we said, let's 
we should have started at the beginning of the clock. So that also went into effect um, November 1. But here again, nobody's going to be digging at 12 a.m. In, in the at night. So we are advising excavators to put their actual um, start time of when they need those lines located by. I think that was my last slide. Yes, thank you all very much. Um, I'm, I'm here to answer any additional questions. You can email me directly or you can email education at ok811.org if you have questions, if you would like a presentation done at your site or for your employees, we also offer that. Um, you can submit education requests um, to that email address or on our website. And if you have any feedback, you can um, click the survey here and give us some feedback on how today's session went. Thank you, Susan. We just did have a, a question come in from Toby Threlkeld. Um, and this is of interest to me because I have some work that I need to do. Can you please touch on the homeowner responsibilities when it comes to Oki 1 and Oki 811? Okay, homeowners um, have the same responsibility as a professional excavator to call us before they dig in their yard. And you know, a lot of times I get questions like, well, do I have to call if I'm just digging in on my flower bed? Or do I have to call if I'm just putting in um, a fence post? Really, why do I have to call just for doing these small little projects? And I tell people it's better safe, it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, if you have a locate request before you dig and you hit something, you're a lot less likely to be charged for damaging that if you have the locate request. If you did not place a locate request and you hit something underground, you're gonna be fined and penalized and charged for that damage. So I always tell people, always better to be safe than sorry, put in the locate request, wait the appropriate time before you dig. Um, and, you know, especially in the easement areas of your backyard where the fences are, there, those most of the time the fence posts are in the public easement and that's where you're going to have your gas lines and your telecom lines and your electric lines running. So you really want to make sure you call before you dig. Um, a lot of times I, homeowners are told by contractors if, if they've contracted to have um, a storm shelter put in or a swimming pool put in, the contractor will say, well, it's your responsibility to call 811 before I come out and do this work. And that's really not true either. We try to tell whoever is moving the dirt is the one that needs to place the ticket. Um, if a homeowner placed the ticket for a contractor and the contractor hits something, then the homeowner is going to be liable for the damages, not the contractor. So just keep that in mind. Whoever's submitting the ticket is the one that's going to assume any liability. So make sure that contractor is on, you know, on the line for making that locate request when you're contracting work as a homeowner. You bet. Did that answer uh, the question? You bet. Uh, I'm just going to send you my address in a text message for my... No, I need to report it through the 800 number, correct? <laughs> yes, or go online. Um, you know, 75% of our locate requests come in through our website now. It's a very simple process. We have a homeowner wizard ticket that walks you through what's your name, what's your address, where are you digging, what kind of work are you doing? Um, so the homeowner wizard is a great way to submit your locate request if you're a homeowner. And then we have um, a portal for contractors to use to submit tickets online. So, you know, going online is an easy way to submit your locate request. You don't have to call it one. You don't have to wait on hold. Um, you can do them all yourself online. It's really simple. Great. Uh, good morning, Jared Crisp out of Pryor. Uh, my friend has a question out there. If a line is uncovered, that is not located, does the digger have to stop the job and call in another locate request? Yes, we, we advise anyone that's digging without lines on the ground to stop digging and wait until line, put a locate request in and wait until the lines get located. We always err on the side of safety. Um, we don't want to see anybody get hurt. We don't want to see the underground lines get damaged. We don't want to see services be interrupted. Um, if it's a telecom line, they're likely going to take out, you know, internet for the neighborhood. And all of us are very dependent on our internet now. I mean, we're using it to watch webinars like this and um, participate in our meetings uh, virtually. So, you know, 
always, always err on the side of safety and call before you dig. All righty. Jerry's got a follow-up question. Can it be a short notice request? It can if, um, you know, we we say that's an emergency. It has to be um, followed the emergency criteria where it's a threat to life, um, threat to to serve, you know, life or or health. Um, If it's not an emergency and you really need it done quickly, we do accept what we call um, non-compliant tickets, but there's no guarantee that the locates will be done before the, the time frame of the 48 hours, not including data notification. So um, a non-compliant ticket is just that, it's not complying with the law and there's no sure fire um, response that, that you're gonna get that all lines will be located by the time you need it done. Okie doke. I, I hope that answers the question. Um, while we wait on a, 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 some other questions here, uh, number one, uh, just to save your date for the Oklahoma Gas Association, we are working fast and furious on our annual legislative update. Our plans are currently to hold a webinar the first Thursday of February, and we are working with uh, some partners at, at One Oak and, and One Gas to to set that up. That's that's a session where we have a conversation about what could potentially happen during the session. And as you can tell, last year something happened, and that's why we are having this conversation. <clears throat> we will announce that <clears throat> as soon as possible, hopefully right after the, the holiday. Oki 811 hosts live webinars every other Wednesday at 2 p.m. local time. These webinars cover a wide range of safety topics for both members and excavators. If you attend our live webinar, you will receive a certificate of attendance. And if you aren't able to attend the live webinar, register anyhow to receive a recording of the webinar the following day. To check out our webinar schedule, go to the Education Events page on our website, oki811.org. If you have questions or suggestions for topics for future webinars, please contact us at education at oki811.org. Susan, uh, Oki811 holds an annual expo. Uh, Can you tell us what the dates are and maybe a little bit about what you've got planned for that? Yes, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to have our safety expo um, on March the 10th is the date. March 9th, we will be offering um, excavator education and workshops, certification workshops for excavators to come. We also have our annual meeting on March the 9th. For those of you that are member company representatives, you're welcome to come to our annual meeting on March 9th. But March 10th is the actual safety expo. We have a great keynote speaker that everyone will love. I actually heard him at the CGA conference this year and he is our keynote. He's gonna, he's just everybody, he's phenomenal. You'll love his message. And then we have breakout sessions um, all around the area of safe digging, pipeline safety, excavation safety, damage reporting. Um, All the stuff we're talking about here, we'll have sessions that go into more detail around um, just the safe excavation and, and making sure people are following um, and processing things correctly in the state of Oklahoma according, in accordance with our law. Um, that's a, that's an annual expo that we do and it will be at the Embassy Suites in Norman. Um, we have registration, um, will be available. I think we're gonna shoot for the 1st of December to have registration set up. And if your company is interested in exhibiting at the expo, we have, um, opportunities for exhibitor space as well. So you can, again, email education at oak811.org if you're interested in any of that, and then look on our website for registration to the expo at the beginning of December. Okay, great. Um, We've had a few more questions come in as we've promoted our organizations. Uh, uh, Matthew Jones, uh, yes, the presentation will be made available after the fact. Our plan today is to uh, share the the video with Oki eight one one, and they will promote it on their communications channels, as will the OGA. Uh, that will probably happen as early as the next week. Uh, I think the OGA. The first thing we will do is post it on our LinkedIn page next week, and then we'll work on 
getting it up on our website. And uh, Susan, I imagine MG in your office or Stephen will handle all that. Yeah, we're actually going to put it on our podcast, on our Digging Deep podcast. So we'll have that available for anybody to listen to even in your truck while you're driving. You don't have to necessarily watch a video if you don't want to. Oh, goodness. That's awesome. Uh, a couple more questions have come in, which is great. I love this. Uh, Jared's still out there in prior. If someone does not respond to a ticket, what is the proper protocol? <clears throat> great question, because this happens pretty frequently, especially with the increase in volume that we've seen. We've seen um, some late locates being um, happening across the state. <clears throat> um, if you get to the dig site and you see that um, an operator has not responded, uh, the best protocol is to contact 811 again and let us know so that we can send out a second notice to those operators that have not responded and ask them to respond. Um, there have been times, and I don't want to say that it's, it happens a lot, but there have been times when a line just does not get located by an operator for one reason or another. Um, in, that, in the instance that that happens, you've still done your due diligence as the excavator to wait the appropriate time. You put in the second notice, they're still not out there. Um, if you have to proceed with your digging, you're going to proceed with your digging. And if you hit something, um, you're going to be less liable for the damages because you've done your due diligence. I'm not going to say that the operator still won't come after you to try to get recuperate their costs for the damage, but you've done your part to try to mitigate um, those damages by putting in the one call request. And then if they don't respond, there's not, you've done what you could do. So we try to just tell the excavator, do your due diligence, put the one call request in, put a second notice in. Um, if you have time, put a third notice in. And if, if th at that point they haven't, they haven't responded, you have to proceed with your digging. Um, then you proceed with your digging. Great. Uh, man, we're just sitting here and the questions are coming in. Uh, awesome. you to ask, is there a limit of how many times an excavator can submit a ticket for the same location without ever having any work done on that at that location? Would this ever be considered excessive since no work has been done? There is no limit. Um, the one call does not put a limit on the number of tickets that can be submitted. Um, the intent behind that, the language in the law added where the operator can charge the excavator for the locates, if there's excessive tickets submitted and no digging is taking place, the operator can charge the excavator now based on what was added to the law. Um, we don't limit it though. We want, we want you to be safe. We want you to dig safely. So we're not going to say don't, we're going to limit you to 10 locate requests. But the operator can start charging you if you're not actually doing digging and you're calling in those locates. Great. Uh, Ryan's still with us. Is there any talk about notifying utilities if marks are still good, but the ticket is set to expire? This new law can and will cause wasted truck rolls to sites where marks don't need updated, just the ticket life. Yeah, that happens today. The, yeah, the, the changes in the law that we're seeing um, don't really, I mean, that doesn't really affect that. We see that today based on, we've seen that for the last eight years since I've been here, that, uh, you know, there can be a waste in um, those updates, those updates tickets coming in and the lines are still good and they don't need to be refreshed. Uh, we do have a special service at the one call um, it's a custom service where an underground operator can ask us to screen those tickets for them. Um, if and we ask today when the, when an excavator calls, do the lines need to be marked again? Are they still good? If they say yes, the, the lines do need to be marked, then the locate goes out to everybody. If they say no, um, the lines are still good. They don't need to be refreshed. Those operators that participate in that custom service get screened out. So AT&T is one of those customers that uses that service for us. So if a, an excavator says the lines don't need to be refreshed, they're good. Um, AT&T is the only one right now that we screen that ticket out for. So they, they won't come out and remark, but the others will come out and remark. 
All the gotcha. operator has to do is sign up for that service and we will screen those tickets for them as well, if that makes sense. And Ryan follows up with what is the cost of that extra fee? The cost is $1 per ticket per screening. So if you, um, if an operator says screen these tickets for us, we'll screen at $1, we'll screen them out if the escalator says they don't need to come out and remark. And that's one American dollar? One American dollar per ticket versus the cost of locating those lines again. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we're at about 9.20. Um, Susan, again, I want to thank you. We're going to maybe hold on just for a couple of minutes to see if anybody else comes in. Uh, while we wait, oh, Ryan's still with us. Do we get charged both the ticket fee and the charge of the service? Yes, the the locate the notice fee the, the the fee that we charge for sending out the notices is a standing fee of and it's on, on a sliding scale. Um, the the lowest the lowest rate is eighty five cents a ticket. Um, so the dollar screening would be in addition to that. Yes. And uh, continuing conversation, we have a screening department that info on the ticket is all we need. Um, it. The information would be on the ticket. It's probably in the comments on the ticket saying the lines don't need to be refreshed. Um, I'd have to look for sure to see where that, that where that is on the ticket, where the excavator actually says, no, the lines don't need to be refreshed. But there is an indicator on the ticket now that says that. So Susan, thank you. Any, any closing thoughts we have? No, um, I appreciate everyone's time this morning. I know it's a lot to ask and to commit yourselves to um, to participating in this, but thank you very much for taking the time and getting educated and being aware of what's happening in our great state of Oklahoma. Thank you, Susan, so much uh, for spending your time with us today. Thank you for all of us for joining us. Uh, uh, be safe out there and be good to each other.